It's Tuesday, June 1st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Hey, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, we're going to talk about a potential baby Berkshire. We're going to talk about a tech acquisition, but we're going to start with the movies. Shares of AMC Entertainment up more than 15% this morning after the movie theater chain announced it sold more than 8 million shares to Mudrick Capital Management, which is an investment firm based in New York. AMC says it is going to use the money to do a few different things, including upgrade the theaters. And uh, boy, the the folks on Reddit are having a party because, I mean, this <laughs> this stock has more than doubled in the past week. It's up more than a thousand percent year to date. And um, and I I have no stake in this. I'm not long AMC. I am not short AMC. Uh, but I will say that as much as any stock in the public market. This appears to be completely divorced from the fundamentals of this business. <laughs> very, very well put, very diplomatically put. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it feels like AMC is providing more entertainment just through its share movement alone. It's providing more entertainment than the, than the movies that, that it shows in its theaters. I mean, in... in it doesn't seem like it's going to be ending anytime soon. I mean, I absolutely agree. Raising money makes sense in this kind of environment when when shares are doing what they're doing. But I mean, we need to put some some context around what's been going on with this business because you you put it very well. And there were some numbers in the release that really uh, offer, I think, some context here. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna read over these numbers real quick. It's just kind of mind bending to think about during. During this year, 2021, to date, daily trading volume for the stock has ranged from around 23.6 million shares to <laughs> 1.25 billion shares within just that one little stretch of 2021. Within the last seven business days, the market price of the stock has gone from an intraday low of $12.05 to $36.72 on May 28th. And they also made it a point that they have made no <laughs> disclosure regarding a change to the underlying business during that period. So just it, just as you said, I mean, there there are no fundamentals that really uh, should should dictate what's been going on with this stock. I mean, I feel like if you, if you're looking for standards of what a meme stock is, I don't know there are formal guidelines, but but those numbers probably could be a good they could provide a good start. Like if your stock has done this, then you might be a meme stock. <laughs> Um, but it, it's going to be it's going to be money money really sorely needed. It's going to raise two hundred thirty million dollars uh, versus the eleven billion dollars in debt that they hold. Fairly minimal dilution, so you can't blame them for taking advantage of an inflated share price, regardless of the reasons. I know that um, people are excited. Some, some people are excited about the fact that the weekend box office, you know, in total was over a hundred million dollars. It's you know, it's the first time that's happened since the pandemic. You know, so depending on how you look at it, there there are some indications in terms of the movie industry as a business that you can look at and say, oh, okay, well that's encouraging, but. There's no denying the long-term trend of just bodies in the theaters, Jason. Yeah. When you just and you can go back to two thousand, like this, the the story of movie theaters as a business in this century has been a steady, small 
year-over-year decline. And even though some years we have seen the box office receipts bump up a little bit, that's due to ticket prices being increased. That's not due to the number of bodies in the theaters. Yeah, and and I mean it's 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 nice to know that you have a demographic out there that really still wants to go to movie theaters, and you can raise those prices a little bit to to, um, to, to offset that that diminishing traffic. But I, I think you're right. I mean, it does seem like this train is only going in one direction, and it's just sort of a slow. Uh, it's just going at a slow speed. Um, I, it feels to me, I mean, one of those things we always look for in investments, one of those things I always look for, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not a value investor, so, so I mean, I'm not really kind of looking for mispricing so much, uh, but it does feel like to me, like we're always looking for large and growing market opportunities, e- even if it's not necessarily large today. You want the indication that there is a growing market opportunity and it could be substantial. It strikes me with AMC's market that, yeah, Theater traffic is shrinking, and and this probably I, this isn't a market that just goes away. It's just one that's going to be smaller, so it may not be as meaningful for investors. And and it's important to remember there there are ways to invest in market opportunities like that, even even if they're not necessarily that attractive and growing. If if you have one of one of the the market leaders in the space, right? I mean, you can you can still have a good business in a market that's been it's somewhat mature and, and uh, not necessarily growing so robustly. It feels like AMC, um, if if it's able to, to to work its way through this this pandemic time and things get back to some sense of normal in regard to traffic to movie theaters, and I think it will. I think a lot of people are really excited to be able to get back out and go. Uh, do stuff. Uh, you know, this this could be a a good company in a less than compelling market opportunity over the next several years. But that's the difference between this business and some of the other businesses that we've talked about over the past few months that have had their stocks knocked down. Yeah. You know, sometimes to the tune of 30-40% from their highs earlier this year. I mean, you look at, you know, and uh, some of the obvious names, you know, cloud-based stocks, uh, trading on the NASDAQ. Yeah, maybe they got ahead of themselves. And, and so, you know, if you bought at the wrong time, your, your stock is down 25%, 30%, something like that. But those are still growing businesses in growing industries with increasing yeah. market share. You know, uh, I'm as big a fan of movies as anyone I know, but... Um, I don't think anyone should delude themselves in thinking that the business of people going to a movie theater has as promising a future as, say, cybersecurity. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, when you when you are assessing the market opportunities that you may want to invest in, it's hard for me to imagine that someone's looking at the movie theater experience as as a as a compelling one. Um, I, and I, I don't know, I don't know that anything really necessarily changes that. But it, it is, it is always a good reminder. I mean, it, it, you're investing in a business, right? I mean, this, this, this is a business as as well as an entertaining story to follow. But I mean, there are going to be some investors that that they try to play into this whole trading thing and meme stock thing, and, and there are there are ways to to definitely get hurt here. So when I look at AMC as as a business going out five years, I mean it's 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 no question. It's not one of those businesses I would have at the, at the, even even at the middle of the list as far as opportunities because it does feel like any any upside that they may witness it feels like a lot of that has already been realized and and, and most of it will probably be somewhat short lived. 
Say goodbye to Cloudera as a standalone public company. The cloud-based data analytics company is being acquired by two private equity firms for $4.7 billion in cash. Cloudera closed last Friday at just under $13 a share. This deal is for $16 a share, so a a nice 25% bump for shareholders. Um, I will just add, Jason, Cloudera went public in 2017, and it has not had a particularly great life as a public company. I mean, no. it's going to it's going to be taken private at a price slightly lower than where it debuted. Yeah, yeah, it's it's I'm glad you mentioned that because it is one of those businesses where you 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 look at the name, you'd hear that it's a subscription as you know, software as a service subscription model. Um, and you would think, oh, this must be one of those high flyers that's getting taken out of this massive premium. And really, it's it's I, I think that stock is going to be valued somewhere at the around seven and a half times gross profit with this deal, which um, is is clearly not anywhere close to a lot of those high flying uh, names that are that are going for for much. Uh, more expensive valuations these days. So, I, I think that's all just to say the market is clearly telling us something with this one. I mean, um, it, it, it's had a while to, to try to demonstrate the growth potential there. And, and while revenue has grown at a 30% clip annualized over the last three years, that, that revenue growth is slowing down. And and I'm not sure how big this company really gets on its own. I mean, it, it, it said before it really it's data analytics, right? They deliver this enterprise data cloud, and they focus on big companies, big organizations. So I it I think that limits their customer base, so to speak. Like even though they're really big organizations, there's a limited number of them, um, and, and so you you do wonder what's the next act act for a business like this. It's one that I, I looked at for for a little while. Um, for our next-gen supercycle service, and, and it was one that I just I walked away thinking, you know, it 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 has these eighty to ninety percent gross margins. It it has a lot of attractive qualities, but but clearly it's it's just not it's it's not bringing anything down to the bottom line. I mean, it's not profitable, even though it's cash flow positive. There's a lot of stock-based compensation involved there. Uh, so yeah, I, I think this is probably the best outcome for investors. What'll be interesting to see is if at some point. Uh, the acquirers don't try to dump it back on the public markets as they often do, uh, riddled with debt. But I don't know. It's KKR and, and a partner uh, doing doing the deal, and, and uh, they both have uh, reputations for collecting and running pretty good pretty good businesses. So maybe they maybe they've got uh, maybe they've got some plans with this one. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Got a question from Bo Underwood in Jefferson City, Missouri. He writes, three of my biggest and favorite holdings are Berkshire Hathaway, Markel, and Boston Omaha. Recently, uh, someone mentioned Kenei Holdings to me from their website, and I'll just add the ticker symbol is C-N-N-E. From their website alone, it looks like an interesting and odd mix of legacy holdings and SPAC acquisitions. Would you lump this company into the baby Berkshire category, or does its lack of using insurance companies as a foundation and more aggressive moves in the SPAC space cause you to look at it through a different lens? I had never heard of Kinney Holdings before we got this email. <laughs> yeah. I, is, is this one that has ever popped up on your radar before? 
Well, first, let me just say this is this is one of the very few times where I'm I'm I guess I'm glad we're not actually doing this in the studio together because you'll promptly uh, reach over and slap me for correcting you. I think it's actually pronounced Kanai. Oh, okay. I'm not positive, but I think that's I, the way it's pronounced uh, from from transcripts that I that I heard in in researching this business. Uh, uh, let, let me just interrupt and say, if I were to slap you, it would not be because you corrected me, <laughs> <laughs> not over a pronunciation issue. Well, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, I, I like you. I was not familiar with this business. I, I had never looked at it. Um, had never had had never heard of it. And it is a really interesting little history, though. That split off from Fidelity National Financial, uh, which is, I think, primarily title insurance, maybe or mortgage insurance. But um, it, it businesses like these. I mean, this is a, this is a business that essentially it's very similar, like like uh, like the email said to models like Berkshire and Mark Ellen, that they they invest in businesses and and the primary investments for Kanai include Dun and Bradstreet, uh, Ceridian, which is an employer services, uh, Optimal Blue, which is uh, mortgage software, uh, Amerilife. They've got a a lot of of exposure to restaurants. Uh, uh, an interesting mix of restaurant businesses in there. Um, and so, for businesses like these, I mean, they've even got real estate in the golf community, Chris. This is right up my alley. They're speaking my language. Uh, it, it is all about leadership with businesses like these. And and I think, in this case, this is, this is a company that's being run, essentially, by Bill Foley, who has a, a long history. I mean, this this was a, a split off from Fidelity National Financial in 2017, and Foley has uh, a, a work history that has had him with all sorts of, of different uh, businesses. I mean, he is the founder and chairman of his own wine uh, business, Foley Family Wines, for example. Um, he's, he's just got a very diverse track record of, of, of work history, a very diverse work history, which it seems to me like in this line of work, he, he would know a lot of things, and that would be an advantage, I think, as an investor. Uh, it, it's similar to Berkshire, but yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't have that, that insurance model business to really rely on investing that float. Um, and so, to me, there probably is a little bit more risk there, but it, it is essentially kind of like a, f- a fund, for, for lack of a better uh, description there. And it's, and it's being run by Bill Foley, and the stock has done okay. It's returned 80% over the last uh, three years. That's outpaced the market. Um, I read the, the shareholder letters that he's written recently, and they're all really interesting and entertaining reads. Um, and, and the stock today is valued a bit under uh book value, which is how I would value a business like this. And so, uh, it, it, it is similar to those businesses. It's a little bit different, as, as the, the, the email noted, which I think makes it a little bit of a riskier uh, proposition. But the flip side is that if you have a good manager, uh, you have a good you get operator running that business, and it, and it seems like Mr. Foley has a pretty good track record, uh, there could certainly be some opportunity there, because they're going to continue to acquire uh, interest in new business and, and, and diversify that uh, portfolio. So, uh, yeah, that's actually one I'm going I'm to keep an eye on and talk a little bit more about it with, uh, with Matt Frankel uh, for uh, Industry Focus Financials one week soon. And not a particularly big Company. I mean, just from a market cap standpoint, you know, it's, we're talking about a three billion dollar fund here. So, yeah. uh, you know, not to get overly enthusiastic, but certainly, you know, we, we've talked before about Berkshire Hathaway in particular and their inability 
to um, just by virtue of the size of Berkshire Hathaway and how much cash they have, they're somewhat limited in the moves they can make in terms of their own investments. And yeah. you know, uh, Kenne Holdings is is able to you know they don't. Not that any business is problem free, but you know they don't have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't. You're right, and and I think um, it it gives them the opportunity, particularly now in this. It, we've seen so much uh, happening in in the SPAC space, for example, and Kanai's been uh, in, investing in that opportunity. And it's it's interesting. They have in their annual uh, in their in their annual report the sh- the letter to shareholders in their most recent annual report. They have a nice breakdown. Um, on on page four, that actually they they you know they're calculating their intrinsic value per share, and and they're basically just adding up the pieces of all of their investments. They they just label them out there from Amerilife. They value at one dollar and thirty two cents uh, per share, and they, and then they ultimately come to this uh, intrinsic value of fifty just under fifty three dollars, fifty two dollars and ninety cents per share. They view their their shares uh, at, at that intri- at that intrinsic value versus what the market is. Uh, pricing it at today, which is is clearly uh, somewhat below that in the what thirty eight dollar range or something like that, um, and so it, it's trading a little bit below book. It's trading a l- definitely more below their intrinsic value calculation, and and as such, they have uh, authorized more in share repurchases because they see they see some value there, and uh, so that's that's one more way businesses like this uh, can can continue to. to grow that share prices just by reducing that number of shares outstanding. Keep those emails coming, people. MarketFullery at Fool.com. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.